Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. An asset class that has grown at about 20%. When people start talking about recession in the mainstream media. The real problem we have with the Fed is that they are equal parts voodoo and wishful thinking. I geek out on this conversation. These are not normal market conditions that we're typically used to. My name is Stuart Foley and I'll be your host. There's a lot of smart money in the insurance asset management industry, but none smarter than Liberty Mutual Investments. And we are joined today by Patrizio Rizzioli, who is the head of strategy and asset allocation at Liberty Mutual Investments. Patrizio, thanks for being on. Thanks for taking the time, particularly given all the news flow that's going on right now. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be part of your podcast. We are doubly blessed because I know that you get a lot of requests and I know that you have limited time. And you are a really good speaker. You're all so passionate about teaching. There's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today, and I'm thrilled to have you. We're friends, and it's, it'll be a good deal. So before we go too far, I want to start us off with the kind of well-known now icebreaker. Where did you grow up? What was your first job? And what's a fun fact? I grew up in Nettuno, which is a, a small town small beach town in the, near Rome. Interesting fact about that town is that's where the American landed in uh, 1944 during the Second World War. Not many know because the name of the town used to be slightly different and the battle had a different name. But maybe that's the reason where uh, I fall in love for USA many years ago, given conversation with, with family members and uh, fall in love with the concept of land of freedom, land of dreams, and so on. In terms of my first job, well, my first paid job is when I became uh, a sailing instructor. I used to be in a summer camp in this uh, small island near my town, Ventotene, and used to do a little bit of everything from cooking, cleaning the dishes, serving tables, but with a really aspiration to become one of the instructors, which was the coolest job in the camp and eventually I did and that became really my life passion, a passion for the ocean, a passion for sailing. You know, even as of today, not only I enjoyed the sailing pit, but I also draw a lot of parallel in my daily activity with my team, with my strategy about sailing and, and leadership. In terms of uh, fun facts, let me think, uh, well, one thing that I, I love is I don't know if it's fun or not, but uh, <laughs> I like to design, uh, build, construct things. I'm a really handyman. And so I spend uh, whenever I have time, either with my kids or alone, to build stuff. With my son, for example, we built recently, actually not that recently, but during COVID, we built a little fish pond with a river and a waterfall. I don't know, maybe more recently we built... Uh, a nice uh, skating ring, which honestly, wow. given the warm weather this year, didn't uh, <laughs> never really froze except a couple of days. But we did have a lot of fun to doing that. So it turn, lot, turned into yeah. <laughs> turned into a fishing pond annex. <laughs> correct, correct. It's just a bigger pool for the fish rather than uh, a skating ring. But you know, I, I like to do fun stuff of that kind. Uh, it's a way to spend time with the kids, but also enjoy the designing and, and the construction aspect of, of things. Man, I love it. And so, I mean, just to chat a little bit about leadership, you drew some parallels between your first job of sailing 
and leadership. Can you expand on that just a little bit? I don't think many, you know, you, you feel uh, that the two topics may be uh, highly related or correlated, but I, I really truly believe that there is a lot in common. In fact, for example, in both cases, sailing, like in business, they both uh, require a clear vision, a strong sense of direction. When you sail, you need to focus on where you need to get your destination versus just thinking to follow the wind and, and let the wind bring you where he wants, right? So clear sense of destination. You need to be always prepared to anticipate change, the wind change, the weather change, and the same in business and investment with all the variables that we need to manage from market, macroeconomic environment, the news. There is always something change around you. You need to be able to navigate those challenges and those obstacles but at the same time, you have to have a clear vision of where you want to go in the long term. I see many occasions where business strategy or business leader, they tend to follow the wind, thinking that they're going fast, but reality is that the risk is to go in circle versus maybe in certain time, you may want to take the slower route and maybe the longer route but can get you to destination faster than just follow the flow of the wind. And then there is all sort of thing that I always talk with, with my team, right? In terms of skills, the, the charisma, the confidence, the ability to inspire and motivate others. I don't know, the ability to communicate clearly and effectively. And there is plenty. So I could go on for hours, but certainly I always think about this parallel between the, the two passion, my passion for my job and my passion for selling. I love it. And you and I have both taught and my students, Liberty Mutual is one of the companies that, that people like, like just my students would know who they are because your marketing team does an amazing job of brand recognition and they have ever, like cute commercials and they're, they're easy to remember and, and whatnot. And sometimes they're a little on the, on the silly side, right? But people in our industry that run money know that Liberty Mutual Investments is a smart money place. And I'm not saying that for your benefit. I think anybody listening to this podcast would agree. So can you talk a little bit about, just give me an overview of Liberty Mutual Insurance for our audience so that they get a sense of where you work and what that company is all about? Yeah, so look, first of all, as you know, many people may recognize Liberty for the jingle and some of the marketing aspect. And those are definitely very powerful, particularly on the retail side of the business. But Liberty Mutual Group is much more than just the, the, the auto and home insurance. So Liberty is one of the largest global property and casual insurance company. We are a Fortune 100. We have a global footprint in more than 20 counties, in fact, almost 30 countries. We have 50,000 employees. And so to your point, really, there is one part of the business is the most well-known probably to people, which is the retail market, right? How to home small business. But we have an extremely successful specialty commercial surety and reinsurance business, which we call the global risk solution. And then to your point, the third piece of the business is the Liberty Mutual Investment, which uh, manage the asset uh, for the insurance. And we really see in Liberty 
we have, I believe, this unique uh, perspective where we really see the three business units equally contributing to the success and the capital creation of, of our enterprise. So we, we see literally the three of all of us being together to make investment and business decision such that we can succeed for our policyholder, for our customer together. And so as I brought up on the top of the show, head of strategy, asset allocation, you're on the executive team at Liberty Mutual Investments. Can you talk a little bit about your role and Liberty Mutual in a little bit more detail, assets under management, asset classes that you're involved in, so on and so forth, just whatever you feel comfortable sharing with us and just so we can get a better sense of it? Absolutely. Look, as, a, as the name implies, strategy and asset allocation, we have a very broad spectrum of responsibility. We often call my team the nerve center of LMI because we really sit at the center of all our investment business unit. Not only we set and inform the investment strategy and asset allocation, we also oversee the portfolio management of the domestic and international entity. We directly manage our public equity portfolio and overlay portfolio. Most recently, we start a new impact mandate and also we manage the pension asset. But also, SA, my team, as the office of the chief investment officer, influence all aspects of portfolio management process and business strategy. So we also influence and contribute to the overall enterprise initiative from business strategy, M&A activity, internal capital allocation on both sides, right? The balance between insurance and investment. In terms of what LMI manages, like as a group, we, we invest in uh, the full spectrum of asset classes. So from the most traditional fixed income and public equity to several private investment strategy across private equity, venture capital, real estate, private credit, and the energy transition. We often talk about being partner-led because we have been investing in the private space since the 80, and we have extremely strong partnerships in the private market, and we ourselves to work closely with them to bring synergy on the two sides and bring opportunity both for us, but also for our partner in the way we interact with them. That's fantastic. And I, you know, I think when you talk about the investment philosophy of LMI and how it fits into the overall Liberty Mutual strategy, Liberty Mutual is, there's some uniqueness there, right? I mean, there's a company that I used to manage the money for and, and that was taken into Liberty Mutual that writes Ocean Going Hull, for example. So you do a lot more than you know, it's sort of like an iceberg, right? There's the part that you can see, which is the part that's, that is on television all the time. And then, but there's so much more that you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about how the philosophy of LMI fits into the overall strategy there and, and anything that you think is, that makes it unique? Interesting question, very broad question. Let me start by something maybe simple about the strategy and the mission, right? I, I will say, look, on the investment side, our mission or our objective, whatever we want to call it, is uh, on paper remarkably simple, right? We are here to create capital for Liberty Mutual. But what really matters is why we are here to create the capital. 
is because we want to ensure that the obligation to our customer, to the people, to small business, that we can make those obligations for them and we can grow the capital for Liberty Mutual such that Liberty can provide more protection to those customers. So at the core of this, you know, it's something that we often in Liberty discuss, which is we, we, we phrase it, we want to winning with purpose, right? One thing is we as a company need to deliver on our promises to our customer, to our partner to be there when they need the most. And so in order to do that and never fail on that mission, you need to have the capital. And as I say, in order to grow it and do more, you need to grow that capital. Liberty is a mutual company. So as such, really self-generating capital is only source to meet that mission. And so that's where investment play a critical role. Now, in terms of uniqueness, I would say, first of all, as someone that has been working in Liberty for more than 15 years, I would say that there is a lot to be unique about Liberty Mutual. But within this context, I would say, I will recall something that I slightly mentioned earlier is, what is unique is this ability to equally contribute to this creation of capital. So investment in business of investment and business of insurance, they are equally sitting on the table to decide together where is best place our marginal dollar of capital, how we can ensure that we meet our obligation, but also how ensure that we can maximize our capital creation possibility. That's interesting because I think a lot of times in some companies, the insurance operation and the investment side of the business is not always well integrated or that there's the allocation of capital. It's not always the case, right? But it, I mean, in theory, like what they teach you in school, I remember, you know, Professor Stowe in 1985 at the University of Missouri said, Insurance companies and banks manage their assets versus their liabilities. I wrote it in my notebook, right? But when it really gets down to it, there's not a lot of companies, maybe not as many as people would think, that have a really integrated approach the way that you guys do. It's quite an accomplishment, really, that you view it in that way because there is only one pile of capital and it's being put at risk when you're underwriting and it's being put at risk when you're investing it, so... And look, and I will also add on that, Stuart, that there is also, not only there is the, the maximize of, call it, the, the, the risk return across the units, but it also there is a lot of synergies that can be created by the cooperation of the two sides of the business to really maximize or enhance the, the opportunity set on both sides of the balance sheet. Absolutely. It makes total sense. So let's talk right now just a little bit about the macro review of the current economic state, how we got here and what the implications and outlook are. And as you and I are making this recording, it's Monday morning of March 20th. There's been a lot of news. Credit Suisse just got sold yesterday. Uh, There's been a joint statement of central banks across the world backstopping the banks. There's just a lot of news flow. And and I want to get in here that to tell you, I know for a fact how busy and how much news flow you've got going. So I appreciate you taking the time. But We don't want to need to talk about those specifics, but just in broad terms, where are we? How do we get here? And and what do you think it looks like going forward here? Stuart, this is an interesting question all the time to answer, but particularly in times like 
today or this past week when things uh, are uh, evolving so quickly uh, that it's very difficult to even discuss about where we are today and potentially by the time this podcast will get released the world may you know maybe shift you know in one direction or another but maybe what i'll do is i'll step back let's step back a little bit and thinking about how i approach those questions when i actually make investment decisions right i generally tend not to be in the camp the camp of trying to predict the future to me is more about thinking about what are the possible scenario out there and how is my portfolio position to take advantage or react to those scenario and over time how those scenarios are evolving the probability of one versus another uh, can evolve so maybe I'll, I'll step back right and let's say look enter this year i felt reasonably good about 2023 particularly given the, the how the market behaved in 2022 like the, the economy was decently uh, resilient. There was a certain amount of positive sign versus uh, the expectation six months prior. Right? Inflation was starting to call off, even if not at the speed we were hoping for. China suddenly reopened and abandoned the zero COVID policy, which potentially will provide positive impulse to global economy. Europe avoided the energy crisis that, uh, you know, at least in size that we were expecting even, you know, six months ago and so on. So there was positive sign to think, think they were moving in the right direction. But the reality is they were still going through this complex, turbulent recalibration, right? We went through a pandemic, an unprecedented response, monetary and fiscal, a spike on inflation that we didn't see in decades. And then a reaction of spiking rate and speed at which is creating potentially other imbalance. And now with the banks, we are seeing some of those effects. So the credit conditions are deteriorating really quickly, right? Every day in the last week, we see sign of that deterioration happen. And so, you know, it's very difficult to make a one specific conclusion. But what I tell you is, again, I believe that predicting the future is lousy business in general. So... To me, is let's evaluate all those variables and see how those variables, what they means and those changes means for our portfolio. To me, the best way I can serve my company is to taking all this information and build a resilient portfolio that can perform under several scenarios. And then on top of that, in these times, maintain enough flexibility such that if there are market opportunity or dislocation or things are deteriorating, I have enough flexibility to reshape the portfolio and take advantage of, of those opportunities. And so when you look out right now, what, and this is a tough question, man, mm -hmm. but if you could just point out a couple, what headwinds or risks are you most focused on right now? Yeah, I mean, again, when there are like when I, if I step in very closely to what happened today, market volatility and, and uh, you know, obviously tighter credit condition are top of mind because of really what we're experiencing in this couple of days. But if I step back again, I think still the elevated inflation, if we can control that, will be something particularly for insurance company of high headwind, right? Because we know that's something that will potentially impact both sides of our balance sheet, not only on the investment side, but also uh, in the way the business of insurance can operate. 
catastrophic event, again, is more probably instinctively something that is always top of mind for insurance, but continue to be elevated. And so also, even if it's more tend to be a headwind in the way we think about insurance, but also can have implication on liquidity in the way you manage the asset, particularly in situation where most of the insurance balance share are sitting with underlies losses given where the rate moved. But in terms of other headwind, again, stepping back a little bit, certainly geopolitical landscape is getting much, much more complicated in the, in the recent past. There is the concern about the U.S.-China relationship, but of course the war in Ukraine and Russia and how that also is making even more complex the relationship between the West country and, and China. They are uh, top of mind. Lastly, maybe I'll throw another one because, again, because of the relation that can have an impact both on the investment side and on insurance is the cyber risk. Although cyber is also potentially a great opportunity for insurance company to do what they do best, right? Eventually start to price those risks and create business opportunities for the future. So I, I always like to think, uh, every time I think about risk and headwind, I always try to think about, okay, what is the opportunities out there? for us and not just looking at the, the risk side. All right. So I want to like really shift gears here a little bit. So the regulators are asking insurance companies to report more information about ESG. And the data is a challenge. There's greenwashing of investments. It's a big topic. Some CIOs I've talked to or, you know, just, man, they don't want to talk about it, not interested. My sense is that you guys are forward in your boots, if you will, about ESG. How do you think about it? And if you can, I don't know if you want to wrap energy transition in there too, but how do you think about ESG? It's curious. This is another topic always of, of a good discussion, right? In our industry. And maybe I'll start uh, by saying something that I, you know, that I strongly believe. We discussed this in the past. It's like, look, to me at the core is what insurance is and what insurance business does, which is we are a socially responsible product. And it's up to us as insurance company to make sure that we deliver on the security for individual and business, right? So at the core, we are a social responsible. Then I'll get a little bit more onto the detail of the ESG. I'm not in the camp of focusing on just one aspect of ESG. There are many definitions of ESG. I tend to take a very holistic approach about ESG and what does it mean for our investment and our investment process. To me, Considering sustainability or environmental, social governance factor in our investment process is as simple as making smarter decision and making more informed decision than if you don't take in consideration those additional factors. Internally, I believe we have already a super strong investment process. And so by adding some more information, we can just get better. I think what is important about ESG is, in my view, and I go back maybe to my parallel with, with sailing, is that you need to be, have a clear vision of what does it mean for you and for your company. What is material for you? 
what are the problem you are trying to tackle? Because ESG is so broad that the really cover pretty much everything that we do on a daily basis. And so you have to have a clear mission, clear vision, and then you can start to execute without being swinged by the wind, right? Because we saw this wind shifting, right? A few years ago, there was almost everyone shifting one version of acceleration and conversation ESG. Now there is counter pressure and political pressure about going the other direction. To me, I would not want to be influenced on the direction. I just need to move in my direction. My direction is, broadly speaking, is I don't think about ESG as a mechanical exercise where you create some sort of a screening tool and you score things and you say this thing is better than other. I don't think in terms of simply set some exclusionary rules and move on. I think about what are the considerations that I think to include in my investment process to make better investment decisions. Is about opportunities, right? Is there an opportunity to enhance our return? And maybe then I'll close on, on your second part of the question. You ask about energy transition, right? And I believe there is an immense amount of opportunity out there. And so a few years ago, we started an energy transition infrastructure strategy. And some of those investments are, have been great performing investment. The last year it was probably one of best asset classes. But even in the case, right, we don't think that as an, an exclusionary approach, but we think more holistically, what are the opportunities for us to best serve our company? Energy transition, Stuart, is a super important topic, but we also have to be balanced and realistic about the speed at which we can implement that transition. For our audience that may not be familiar, or if we can just kind of level set it, like, can you help define what you mean when you say energy transition? Yeah, so an energy transition is broader, I would say, than just uh, the, the energy production through renewable energy, right? There is a lot that is from production, storage, distribution, Technology, I believe technology has to play a critical role in the advancement of the transition. There is opportunity to transition for companies that they are historically more focused on the traditional fossil fuel generation to other sources of energy. So there is a way that capital from investor and government can accelerate or help some of those businesses to transition, right? Think about insurance, for example. How can someone transition from one approach versus another unless there is some the ability for insurance to provide insurance to those new business to grow, right? And so bottom line is, one, I believe there is an immense investment and business opportunity in the space. But two, we need to be enabler of the transition without being too narrow on the definition of how we can accelerate that transition. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. And by enabler, you mean... I think I'm, I'm interpreting that to mean someone providing the insurance coverage to these new companies so that they can grow and thrive, right? Is that is that what you mean, how you mean enable? Or is it more providing capital or, or both? It can be both. For certainly can be both. It can be insurance products, can be capital from investment that are going to be needed for those companies to grow. There is going to be opportunity to work together on defining what the risks are. 
So it's very broad spectrum of opportunity. And at least in Liberty Mutual, we are taking this very holistic approach where we want to try to help in any front. All right. So here's an easy one. If there was one thing you could change about the insurance industry, what would it be? I'm kidding about it being an easy one. I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, there is. Look, look, let's say like this. Both of us have been in this industry for a long time. And, and actually, very recently, I've been starting to use this joke, which is, I say, I was in insurance before it was cool. Yeah. I, I hear, but you probably, everyone knows, right? A lot of private equity firm now get into the insurance space and looking for the insurance capital. And some of them actually, they, they phrase it now as, you know, at the core, we do insurance and then manage some of those assets, right? And so I like that joke about, I was in insurance before it was called. But reality is that the perception of our job or of our industry is not still as exciting to people as the way I believe should be. I love my job. And it's extremely challenging because you have to deal with so many variables that I will argue they're much more complex than just focus on allocation and on the asset side of the balance sheet is always different. I don't remember two years to have the same challenge in a row. And so it's a good place for talents to grow, to develop opportunity for career of people, but also there would be an opportunity to change the perception of, of our industry in general out there because also from an industry perspective i think in generally the population in general underestimate of what huge contribution the insurance industry play in the growth of our economy in the growth of wealth of countries and peoples and business we talked about it maybe earlier indirectly right we are in enabler of this growth. And so yeah, I guess it's a loaded question with a loaded answer with the positive attitude that I think we are in an amazing industry and I wish we did a better job to show out there how cool and exciting our world of insurance and management is. It's funny, I, you know, from your lips to God's ears. I mean, I used, when I was teaching full time, I mean, I did a lot a lot of talking about to students to say the insurance industry is a really interesting industry on both sides of the balance sheet. And I think the insurance asset management industry is very interesting. I mean, I'm on my soapbox right now and I'll, I'll just tell you, I think insurance is the, by far the most sophisticated sleeve of institutional asset management. It is far more complex and, and more heavily regulated and there's far, far more variables than any other institutional sleeve. And I think that when young people listen to a podcast like this, I want them to know that Liberty Mutual Investments is a very smart money shop in some place that they should be thinking about from a career perspective. And not only Liberty Mutual, but other insurance companies, other insurance asset management shops on both sides of the balance sheet, right? On, on, the, on the asset management side and on the insurance side, it's a very different, you're dealing with different issues, but I really want to get that. I share that with you, right? So you and I both share a passion for teaching. I would love to know. I mean, I think you know this, but I mean, I, I started this business, insuranceaum.com, in an effort to try to provide education to the insurance investment community, right? Insurance companies own something on the order of a third of the world's invested assets. But if you say, well, 
where do I go take classes to learn how to manage that money? It's like, well, it's not really a good, there's not really a good place, right? CFA doesn't have a, a certificate or Kaya, nobody. I mean, it's always kind of on the job training. And what we're trying to do is provide real deal, like usable skills in the insurance asset management industry on our platform. And talking with people like you benefits, I mean, a lot of people, especially I'm hoping people early in their careers. So when you think about teaching, and it's in my mind, bigger than just teaching in an academic setting, it's also professional development within your organization, which I know Liberty Mutual Investment does an amazing job of. How do you think about the importance of teaching? What advice can you give me to do a better job of being an educational resource to the industry? Another uh, loaded question, Stuart, you, you keep it easy to me. Look, let's start by saying that, first of all, I'm a big believer on learning through experience of others in addition to the more traditional academic learning. So to me personally, I've been teaching for about 15 plus years at the University of Boston University and is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because teaching either in schools or to the talents in my team and transfer knowledge is it's just one way, one simple way among other to give back, right? To give back to either our communities or our employees and so on. So that is the key. I will also unfortunately share the news with you that uh, recently I actually dropped my commitment on teaching at the university during uh, COVID, uh, unfortunately, with uh, my wife being an emergency doctor and all sort of complexity during the period, I didn't have the possibility to do it because of some family difficulties and challenges we face. I had to deprioritize that, but it's certainly something that I want to continue to do and hopefully soon getting into again. The last thing I will add is that, you know, I started my career as a, an actuary, but always focusing on the investment side of the balance sheet, always thinking about what else and how the skill set that you acquire in academic can be used on different fronts. And that was really something that I learned at the beginning when I was still an academic. So in terms of teaching and what you, in advice to you is always like, there is always a different way the life and the, the career of people can evolve. It's important to learn from others. And, and that's what uh, is an amazing opportunity for all of us to teach and, and to others so that they can there learn and take something from you going forward. You know what? I really appreciate you. I mean, I've, we've become friends over the years and, you know, you're always so thoughtful. You've always got interesting point, an interesting point of view. And you've always been very kind and generous with your time and accessible. You're a, a very humble guy that has extraordinary talents and you've always got a huge smile on your face whenever we talk. And I, and I just want to say thank you very much for being on. And I've learned a lot today and, and just particularly, as I mentioned earlier, with all the news flow, I mean, you could have easily canceled this. So, you know, Patricia, really, thanks for being on. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks for uh, inviting me. It was a pleasure. We have been joined by Patrizio Rizzioli, Head of Strategy and Asset Allocation at Liberty Mutual Investments. He's also on the executive team there. 
Thanks for being on. And if you like us, please review us, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful to us. Tell your friends we're on. We'd love any help and suggestions that you have. You can email me at podcast at insuranceaum.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast.